So we're continuing our series on one John, uh, three John, uh, minor epistles. This is the last one. But before we get into it, I have a little question for you. Um, a little Bible trivia. What's the biggest book in the Bible? Anyone have a guess? What? Psalms? Anybody have a guess? It's not Psalms. Isaiah? I'd have gone for Isaiah. Actually, it's Jeremiah. What's the shortest book in the Bible, though? Whoops. There's a big clue on the previous slide. Yeah, very good, yes. <laughs> in the original languages, if ever you get asked this question in a trivia quiz, what's the longest or shortest book? The thing to say is, well, do you mean in the original Greek and Hebrew or in English? <laughs> That'll impress them. Because in the original languages, uh, 3 John is the shortest book in the entire Bible. Okay, but... Um, it's the thinnest book, and sometimes uh, these thin books, we easily miss the message. It seems they've written, they were written in a certain time, on a certain date, to a certain person, in a certain place, for something specific. You know, give, go and get this for me. What's that got to do with us today? Uh, but but um, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the church fathers in the 3rd and 4th centuries determined that these were the books that should be our Bible. And so we trust that God will speak to us through this. And the message in this book, actually, there is a message that we easily miss. Uh, and as I was uh, taunting you, a few, few of you on Facebook, um, it's actually all over the Bible and we still miss it. Let's read the, the, the letter, at least most of it. I'll miss out the last few verses. So this is the third and final letter written by John, the disciple of Jesus. I'm going to read the message version. Um, I think it, it speaks well to what we're talking about today. From the pastor to my f- good friend Gaius, How truly I love you. We're the best of friends. And I pray for your good fortune in everything you do and for your good health. Though your everyday affairs prosper as well as your soul. I was most happy when some friends arrived and brought the news that you persist in following the way of truth. Nothing could make me happier than getting reports that my children continue diligently in the way of truth. Well, after all that, you start thinking, well, that doesn't actually help us. What is this about? It's like one of those, you know, I'm well, hope you're well. Or, uh, you know, weather is lovely, wish you were here, type letters. Or as somebody at work once wrote to me, uh, weather is here, wish you were lovely, Chris. <laughs> but we won't go into that. It's just, look, but then, then we get into what this letter is about. Dear friend, he says, when you extend hospitality to Christian brothers and sisters, even when they are strangers, you make the faith visible. They've made a full report back to the church here. A message about your love. It's good work you're doing, helping these travellers along their way. Hospitality worthy of God himself. They set out under the banner of the name and they get no help from unbelievers. So they deserve any support that we can give them in providing meals and a bed. We become their companions in spreading the truth. That's to Gaius. And then he says... Earlier, I wrote something along this line to the church, that's the church he's writing to, but the head of the church, Diotrephes, who loves to be in charge, denigrates my counsel. If I come, you can be sure I'll hold him to account for spreading vicious rumours about us. As if that weren't bad enough, he not only refuses hospitality to travelling Christians, but he tries to stop others from welcoming them. Worse yet, instead of inviting them in, he throws them out. So this is uh, particularly this, path, this section here. 
Uh, I love it when you extend hospitality to Christian brothers and sisters. This is about uh, traveling missionaries that John was sending out to the churches who were being welcomed and made hospita- with hospitality in some churches, but not in others. And in this church, Gaius was welcoming them. But the leader of the church, Diotrephes, was not only not welcoming them, he was actually saying, if you welcome I'll throw you out of the church. He was throwing people out of the church for welcoming these traveling Christians. So it's to encourage Gaius that John wrote this letter and to warn Diotrephes. There are two main characters. Gaius, who's congratulated for showing hospitality, and Diotrephes, who's who's the dictatorial church leader. Thank goodness we don't have those today. (laughs) Who refuses to show hospitality and he even throws people out of the church when they show hospitality. So today's big idea, the big idea of this sermon, which I want you to take away, is just that word, hospitality. Hospitality, what's it about? And, and don't suddenly switch off and think, oh, this is about tea and biscuits. This is about what Scripture's telling us to do throughout Scripture. And we often miss it. <clears throat> here's, before we get into it, here's a thought from a, a, a writer and a theologian in the Anglican Church who I have huge respect for, spoken to her. She's written three books, which are brilliant books. And she writes about hospitality. And here's a quote from her. Whoops, what happened then? Uh, Hospitality, she says, is one of the few themes that is referred to consistently in both Old and New Testaments. Its radical nature should not be underestimated. Hospitality, she says, is one of the few themes that is referred to consistently in both Old and New Testaments. Its radical nature should not be underestimated. But surely we think, surely it's not that important, is it? It's just tea and biscuits, a bit of cake, inviting people for a meal. Surely, we might think, surely isn't God more interested in the big, the big things? The evangelism, the healing, the preaching and teaching. Actually, you know what? There are surprisingly few themes, I had a look at this and think about this and asked some of you about this, there are surprisingly few themes that run the entire length and breadth of the Bible. Very few, very few. Almost a handful. God's nature, God's love, um, the miraculous nature of God, God's, God's care for us. There are very few themes that run the course, the entire course of the Bible that you would find them in every book of the Bible. Hospitality is one of them. It's actually one of them. And we will come to this. Uh, It's almost hidden from sight. Sharing food, sharing time, sharing conversation, showing hospitality is an enabler for God to do stuff. And we will see that. It's it's a powerful enabler, a vehicle for God to do things in our world. Jesus used it. God tells us to do it. Uh, I was listening to a podcast, coincidentally, a couple of weeks ago, Nomad Podcast, if you're ever looking for a good podcast, it's great. And they were interviewing a lady on spiritual disciplines. She said, what, three spiritual disciplines. I thought, that'll be interesting. Sounds interesting, right? Is it like, you know, meditating on God in some new way or a new way to read scripture? And her very first spiritual discipline was Christian hospitality. Because Christian, Christian hospitality is radical and it should be radical. So that's interesting. Never heard it called that before. But let's, let's be open to that idea that God wants us to be hospitable and that he will, he will achieve spiritual goals through our hospitality. Let's be open to that, not close to that. Hospitality is God's enabler for welcoming, for conversation, for fellowship, even for healing. Okay, I've said, I've said, hospitality goes through the Bible, yeah? and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, maybe, show us. 
Let's have a look at that. Let's, let's dive into it a little bit, okay? Let's see what scriptures say about hospitality. And I'm not saying, I'm not talking about, and then they went and had a meal. You know, I'm not talking about the sort of randomness, the sort of side effects of just people eating. Obviously they ate, right? I'm talking about hospitality, about welcome, about inviting people in, about sharing time, sharing conversation, and what God did through that. Here's a few uh, examples of implicit hospitality. Implicit meaning, Jesus used these occasions of hospitality to do something. And we often jump to the thing that Jesus did, and we forget, actually, the reason he went there in the first place was for hospitality. Let's just look at a few examples. Here's one from Luke 7, at the house of Simon the Pharisee. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life <clears throat> it came in with an alabaster jar of perfume, expensive perfume, and she broke it on Jesus' feet. We know the story, don't we? And we talk about the story, and we have sermons about the story. But actually, what we sometimes forget is that happened because Jesus went to this Pharisee's house to have dinner. <coughs> Excuse me. I had a cold this week. <coughs> Still lingering. Aunt Mary and Martha's Luke 10. Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary. And eventually she says to Jesus, uh, or Mary says to Jesus, Jesus, my sister doesn't help me. She, I'm running around doing all this stuff and she's just sitting listening to you. And Jesus says, Mary, Mary, you are worried about so many things. Martha, Martha, you worry about so many things. But Mary has chosen the one good thing. <clears throat> and again, we talk about that story. And we just skip past the fact. Actually, Mary and Martha invited Jesus. And Jesus went and shared hospitality with them. Or, what about this one? At Matthew, the tax collector's house. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And we hear the story of, actually, it's not, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick who need a doctor. And we talk about that. We forget about, we forget the fact that actually we read past the hospitality to get to the point. Jesus went to Matthew's house to have dinner. Jesus went to all these places, I put it to you, Jesus went to all these places not to cause an argument or to have a debate. He went there to share hospitality. That's what he was doing. Sharing time, sharing food, Sharing welcome with friends, with people who knew him. Sometimes not with friends, people who didn't like him. He went to Simon the Pharisee's house. And then things happened. And when the conversation turned, as it did on every occasion, 1 Peter 3.16, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope to anyone who asks, the reason for the hope that is in you. But do it with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that is in you to anyone who asks, but do it with gentleness and respect. And I think it's easier to do it with gentleness and respect if we're sharing food, sharing a coffee. It's, if there's a context of hospitality, it's easier to have a discussion than just a face-to-face -face discussion on theology. That's what Jesus did time and time again. We can uh, read past these things. We, um, <clears throat> thinking evangelical Protestants, we want to get to the meat. We want to get to the thing that Jesus was going to talk about. 
We want to get to the argument and we want to discuss it and start pulling it apart. And that's good. We're analytical. We tend to be. But we should not forget that the, the reason that Jesus went there in the first place was to share food, to share time, to spend time, to share hospitality. So that's kind of, there are some occasions where Jesus used hospitality to do something, but there are even more occasions which are explicit, where the Bible, where Jesus says, this is what you must do. You must show hospitality. Time and time again, in Luke 14, the, the heavenly banquet where the king arranges a banquet and uh, invites people, and then one by one they all say, well, I have to go and get married, or you know, I've got a field to see to, I've got something else to do. And then the king says, well, I'll invite the people who, who weren't invited, if you don't want to come. But it's about inviting people who can't pay us back. Um, Titus 1.8, this is an odd one, but we found it in a little group. We've had a group, a focus group in church looking at these. I'll talk about it in a minute. Um, there are, in Titus, the letter to Titus, there are requirements for leaders. And the requirements for church leaders talk about being self-disciplined, being of good standing, being holy. But the very first thing it says, a leader must be, a church leader must be, the very first thing it says is hospitable. Don't talk about that, do we? The very first thing it says is a lead church leader must be hospitable. Interesting, isn't it? Or Matthew 25, the famous text on hospitality. Lord, when did we see you without a drink and ignore you? When did we see you hungry and not feed you? When, when was that? When you didn't show hospitality to the least of these, you didn't show it to me or to the other group. When you showed hospitality to the least of these people, you, that was me, I was there, Jesus says. That was me. Hebrews, direct command. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for in doing so, some have welcomed angels. In welcoming strangers, some have welcomed angels, the writer to the Hebrews says. We could go on. On one occasion, Jesus even invites himself to someone's house for dinner. Do you remember when that is? Mm, picture there, yeah? So Zacchaeus, the man who cheats everybody, is up a tree because he wants to see Jesus. And Jesus comes and he says to me, he doesn't actually say, Zacchaeus, your sins are forgiven, but even Zacchaeus, let's talk. He says, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house. You and I are going to your house. <laughs> We're going to have dinner. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall at that conversation between Zacchaeus and Jesus, yeah? Uh, and all of these, we could go back to the root of them. The root of them is in the Old Testament law which repeats again and again and again throughout the Old Testament law about when it talks about strangers, foreigners in the land. It says, you must treat foreigners in the land as one of your own. You must treat strangers in the land as one of your own. And it's almost always followed by the second half of that statement. You must always treat strangers as your own because you yourself were a stranger. You must treat foreigners as your own because you yourself were foreigners in Egypt. And there's a reminder, actually, that sometimes we will be the stranger. Sometimes we will be the stranger, the stranger. So God's command to ancient Egypt to show hospitality to people who were not Israelites, who were not Israel, who were not of Israel, is repeated over and over again through the Old Testament law. And God always says, because you were like that as well. And one day you might be again. You might be a stranger. And what will you do then? <clears throat> I would actually say 
that hospitality runs through every book in the Bible. And I don't mean in a kind of sidelined eating food. I actually mean as a, as a meaningful vehicle for God to do business with his people, hospitality is used over and over again. We, as a little group of us who are looking at uh, the midweek groups who use our building from Monday to Friday, um, we've talked about this at church meetings, uh, and how can we as a church show gospel hospitality? How can we actually give them a glimpse of God's kingdom through our welcome? How do we do that? So we looked at all those passages and more, and some of our reflections, just to s- summarise, we did say, you know, welcoming and showing hospitality is disruptive. It takes time out of your agenda. You might get people who you wouldn't really want to invite. Right? That, that happens. You might, you will get people who, who you didn't expect. Uh, we talked about loneliness. Loneliness is pervasive in society. Loneliness is pervasive in our town of Lim and even in our church and our church community and our wider community Monday to Friday. There are lonely people. Uh, somebody, one person brought to our group this quote from somebody very close to this church who said this. And they said, I go to Sainsbury's to talk to people. I haven't got anybody to talk to. No company. So I go to Sainsbury's. And, and it's a sad reflection of the nature of our society. And that that is, that is, a, that is something somebody close to this church has said. And we're thinking about what can we do about loneliness. And even in the church, loneliness as well. Even perhaps in our membership, I think that happens. We talked about, because God said, welcome the stranger. So we we said, well, who is the stranger? Who is that in Lim? Because we don't see homeless people sleeping on the street. But actually the stranger is any marginalised person, isn't it? They might be marginalised through disability, can't get out of the house, very elderly, perhaps those with dementia, perhaps those who are different, perhaps those who are suffering from mental illness, perhaps people who are just suffering anxiety or loneliness. Actually, we can all be strangers at different times of our life. I think mental health now affects so many people in this country at one time in our lives. We can all be the stranger. Sometimes we will be the stranger. I, I, when I was in India a long time ago, I was, a, I was looking for a church, and in several hundred miles there was only one church. And so I just turned up one day after having fought to get on a bus. And they, who's this guy? He said he's come from England. But anyway, it's a little brethren church. They welcomed him. After the service, he said, why don't you just stay to lunch? I said, okay, yeah, that's good. I haven't got anything to do. Stay to lunch. After lunch, he said, why don't you just stay for the afternoon? I said, I'll stay for the afternoon. Then at about four o'clock, he said, why don't you stay for dinner? I said, okay, yeah, I'll stay for dinner. This is good. Then they said, when you come here on a Sunday, why don't you just spend the whole day with us? It's outrageous, radical hospitality to the person they'd never met before. But as far as they were concerned, I was a Christian and had found their church and they wanted to show hospitality. Sometimes we will be the stranger. As a society, we're often focused on trying to get to the problem. Let's try and solve the problem. Let's get, and these are good things but we're focused on the MRI scan and the operation. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, we forget the idea of just spending time. Sometimes there is a need not to solve the problem, but simply be with people. Hospitality is a wonderful way of doing that. Sometimes there is no short-term solution to people's problems. Sometimes there is no solution in this world. 
to chronic illness or terminal illness or mental illness. There may not be a solution, and we may not have the solution to that, but we can walk with them as they're in that situation. We may not be able to solve it. God doesn't ask us to solve it. God says, just walk with them in that situation and hospitality. Just a coffee is a great way of doing that. So, we've talked around and about hospitality. What is hospitality? Can we just kind of nail it down? And then what does it mean for us individually and as a church? Well, the word hospice comes from a word that means making room. It's good, isn't it? Just making room, creating space. That's where it comes. Just, let's just make room. Jesus made room for people, for people who were, who were strangers, who were marginalised. Lepers, women, and in uh, Matthew 19, children. Remember that uh, passage where there's loads of people surrounding Jesus and they want healing and they want to talk to him, they want to ask him deep questions. And there are these children milling around and the disciples say, get out of the way. Jesus is busy, he's got important stuff to do. And Jesus says, no, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to them. Or, look in the King James Version for the stunningly beautiful statement of Jesus. Uh, Suffer the little children, he says, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Suffer the little children to come unto me. Put up with it. Be troubled. Be a bit inconvenienced. It's okay. Suffer the little children to come unto me, he says, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. We will make room for them as well. Even on this busiest of days, says Jesus, there is room for them as well. So it comes from a word, meaning making room, which is a good word, isn't it? Because it is about making room. And it's about the welcome. Hospitality is the welcome then we offer to one another and to strangers. And we can do it as a, on our own or as a church. Let's look at those two briefly. Not everybody can host a wonderful meal or a meal. But some of us can. Most people can. Uh, there's a, there's a, 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 an activity that goes on here called Open Home, which most of you hopefully know about, where people who are on their own on Sunday can go to one of our homes for lunch. What a wonderful activity. And if you're involved in that, well done you. Great. Please continue to do that. What a wonderful way to show hospitality as an individual. What about at work? Are you hospitable at work? Or do you rush in at 300 miles an hour, work frantically throughout the day, and then rush out again. Sometimes we have to do that, don't we? Sometimes we have to do that. But not always. And, and, and are we the person who people can talk to? Are we the person who's got time to have a coffee in the kitchen or by the water cooler or wherever it is? And people know I can talk to them because they'll listen. They're hospitable. They're welcoming. We need to show hospitality at work as well. And when the conversation turns... Always be prepared to give the reason to anyone who asks for the hope that is in you. But do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. Often we, we use these excuses. I know I do. I think, think probably most of you have done as well. Won't make any difference. What difference will it make? I'm just going for a coffee with whoever it is, yeah? If that's what we think, then we have lost the sense of the kingdom of God completely. The kingdom of God is as a mustard seed the tiniest of seeds. You almost can't see it. But once it starts growing, it becomes a huge plant. 
such that other animals come and live in it. Kingdom of God is God says, I will use the weak things of this world to shame the strong. I will use the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. It's, it's about the small thing. So it doesn't make sense to say it's too small. That's what the kingdom of God is, is built on. These small acts of kingdom. And then another one, I'm the one who should be asked. We sometimes think that. Don't why? Nobody's asking me to lunch or whoever it is, yeah? But maybe you are the one who should be asked. But maybe you also could even ask someone out just for a coffee. Somebody who needs that chat. It's hard to ask. Sometimes it's hard to ask, isn't it? You know, particularly on our streets and our neighbours, I think that's hard. But there are things we can do, um, perhaps around Christmas. Christmas drink, do you want to come around for a drink? Or um, let's get together and talk about a neighbourhood watch or a, or a WhatsApp for our streets. Some of you have done things on your streets. If you've done things on your streets that have worked, please come and tell me. Perhaps we can put that together and, and get some ideas going about what we can do on our own streets to bring people together. It's something that I'm looking at right now because we've moved into a street. How can I, what can I do in my street to be hospitable? And then um, <clears throat> there's a church. So that's the individual level. At the church level, uh, I mentioned the group that's looking at um, hospitality to people who come here Monday to Friday. How can they be welcomed in? Um, we've had a, 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 another survey, which was the one I had initially, has gone to the people Monday to Friday. And we've asked them all sorts of questions. Do you feel welcomed when you come here? If we had a place to have coffee where you could just sit and chat, would you use that? Really interesting, insightful answers, which hopefully we'll share on a Sunday morning, but not today. What can we do to have a more welcoming entrance, a welcome team? A drop-in culture, where it's just okay for one of the staff members to drop into the group and to be there and to chat and to be around afterwards. We would like to show people, we would like to offer people glimpses, tantalizing glimpses of something else, of something other, of the kingdom of God. And I think hospitality is one way we can do that as a church. Also as a church, or as the church, here's a picture I took about 11 o'clock at night on Thursday nights at Creamfields, the church's tent. The church, Methodists, there's Catholics, there's Anglicans, and there's us as well. And I love that. I love the fact that somebody said to me, well, who are you? We're the church. Well, which church? All of them. We are all of them. Let's, let's just put aside all that other stuff. We represent Jesus, period. That's it. Don't need to go into anything else. She said, that's great. I think that's really good. <laughs> um, great conversations taking place. And that is radical hospitality. I'll tell you that because, one reason, every other tent on that place, and there are many hundreds of tents, they are selling burgers for eight quid, they are selling coffee for £3.50. Same prices everywhere you go. They are selling bottles of water for £2.50. It's £2 for a can of beans, a pound for a banana. That's just, things I look, just the things I looked at. That is the only tent on that site that will not fleece you from top to bottom. Not only will it not fleece you, they're giving away bottles of water, which you pay £2.50 for the next tent. They're giving away biscuits, and they've got time. It's radical hospitality, because people look at it and say... Why am I not being ripped off? What, uh, and people have actually offered money, haven't they? said, uh, Simon will know. People, can I make a donation? No, that's not what we're here for. It's just a simple way of showing radical hospitality. And lastly, 
We also, we also should share a meal occasionally. It's good to do that. I was really pleased when Darren suggested to bring and share lunch in July. I haven't had one for ages, I'm told, in this church. Great, well, good job. Let's do it again. I want to uh, come to a close to tell you a story. Uh, it's set in uh, Denmark, a little obscure island off Denmark, some time ago. Uh, where is it? So, two elderly women live in a small community in an island off Denmark, Philippa and Martine. They are dedicated, wonderful Christians. Their father was the church minister, and the island grew and flourished under his ministry. But now he's passed away, and the job of keeping the church going falls to these two ladies. They were both stunningly pretty in their time, but they never married because they felt it would negatively impact the work of the church. So they feed the poor, they look after people, they work themselves to the bone trying to stop the church falling apart. Their church is a small, a very um, traditional Lutheran gathering, a Lutheran Protestant gathering, and there are arguments and dissent among this small community. One rainy evening, a French lady arrives on their doorstep. She has come from Paris to escape civil war. She has no possessions. They know nothing about her, but she comes with a letter from one of their former suitors, saying she'll make a good housekeeper and cook. She can't pay them anything. Sorry, they can't pay her anything, but they take her in as a cook and a maid. Her name <coughs> is Babette. Now, what they don't know is that Babette, actually, was head chef at the Café Anglais in Paris, the most famous restaurant in the whole of France. She, in fact, is the only woman ever to have held that position. At the Café Anglais, she regularly oversaw banquets for royalty for senior state occasions. So Babette gets involved. She cooks for the two sisters on, on an almost zero budget. They teach her how to cook the most basic meals. It's peasant food, which she gracefully learns and makes for them. The sisters believe that luxurious food is sinful. Babette throws herself into looking after the poor and the needy of the town. Now, Babette has one link, one tie back to France, which is a French lottery ticket. And one day after many months, she receives a letter saying that she's won 10,000 French francs. At that time, an unimaginable sum of money. She's rich. She's got 10,000 French francs. The whole of the town is sad because they know that she will now return to France as a rich woman and leave them. Babette has done so much good among them. But Babette makes a strange request, a strange wish. She says, I would like to cook a meal for you two sisters and for your friends. A proper French meal I would like to cook for you. And I would like to pay for it. Well, the sisters are not very keen um, when they tell their... When the sisters are not very keen when they tell their friends in church, they're all very worried because they've heard about French food. They've heard about snails and frog's legs. And they've never drunk wine in their lives. This is really bizarre and a bit worrying. But they resolve among themselves not to say anything bad. They somehow will put up with Babette's meal. Everyone is shocked when the strange ingredients begin arriving, including at one point a live turtle in a wheelbarrow that frightens the living daylights out of them. It takes two weeks for Babette to prepare this meal. 
Finally, they gather on a snowy evening. They have the best china that they've got in the town. They put the candlesticks out. They all get dressed up. A banquet is served on a snowy evening, the likes of which has never been seen before. Simple folk who've never had a meal out in their lives are eating at this banquet. And they haven't a clue what they're doing, except for one person. One person is a guy in the uniform, General Lowenstein. He, he was brought up in the town, and he knows the village, and he knows good food when he sees it. Then follows a kind of comedy, where throughout this meal, the general is increasingly astonished at the quality of food, at the banquet that's served, at the, at the vintage of the wine. I think at one point he makes a comment to one and says, this is surely Claude de Vosges, 1845. And this old guy says to him, I'm sure it'll snow tomorrow. <laughs> and they, they, have, they have the lemonade, and one lady thinks it has the lemonade. She thinks, it must be some new kind, sorry. One lady has, they have champagne. Spoiled it now. They have champagne. And one lady drinks the champagne and says, it must be some new kind of lemonade. Anyway, this carries on. Lowenstein has no idea how in this backward village such a banquet has been prepared. He tries to tell the others, but they don't know what he's talking about. Meanwhile, Babette remains in the kitchen for the whole meal, the entire duration. But during the meal, which goes on into the small hours of the morning, old wounds are mended between these church folks. People in this church who have not spoken for years find themselves in conversation. Old grudges that separated them are jokingly dealt with. Let me just show you this 90-second trailer. You'll have to read the subtitles. general knows what they've eaten that night. But then the climax comes later when the two sisters find Babette just immersed into, into washing up and dirty pots all around her. And they say, so you're leaving us soon? She says, no, I'm not leaving. What made you think I was leaving? They say, but you're a rich woman now. You'll go back to France. She says, no, no, I'm still a poor woman. And they say, but what about the 10,000 French francs? Aghast. And she says, that's the cost of the meal that you had tonight. That's what it cost me. 
that is the cost of a meal at the Café Anglais, of a banquet. Now, it's outrageous, isn't it? Babette's hospitality is outrageous. It's off the scale. It's off the limit. She wanted to do something, and it's hospitality in the limit. Ours is much simpler. We, don't, we, won't, we wouldn't do that, but we still have to. It's still a sacrifice. We still have to make room. There are many metaphors in that film. It's a 30-year-old film about God's actual hospitality to us as well. It's a metaphor of God's outrageous love for us, that he gives everything for us, off-the-scale hospitality. His desire to make room for us. And sometimes we don't get it either, do we? We come to God and say, hey, it's quite good, that, what you did for on, on the cross. We almost deal with it that way. So let's just uh, wrap up here. Making room. We've seen this morning, hopefully, here's the quote I, I gave at the start, that hospitality is one of the few things that is referred to consistently in both Old and New Testaments. Its radical nature should not be underestimated. And we've seen in uh, the letter from John, John commends Gaius for his hospitality and warns Diotrephes for his lack of hospitality. And hopefully we've seen that making room, hospitality is a thread that runs through Scripture. So, how are we at making room? Am I hospitable? Do Do I invite people for a coffee? Can I share a meal with people? I don't speak too much. Do I accept invitations? Which is also hospitality as well. Do I accept invitations? How good am I at making room? Making room. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. We will make room for them as well. Let's not, let's just think about that phrase as well. You know, it would be great if that person didn't have to go to Sainsbury's to talk to someone. Wouldn't it be great? Your hospitality this week, it might be the exact good news that somebody really needs to hear. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you made room for us, Lord. You were complete. You were content. You were perfect in the Trinity. But you made room for us, Lord. You said there is room for us as well. And so, Lord, today, this week, Lord, show us, Father, who are the people, who is the person in our family, in our home, in our workplace, in our street, in our church, who is the people, who are the people, Lord, that we need to make room for. We want to make room for them, Lord, as you make room for us. In Jesus' name, amen.